This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thanks, this is Body Hot Girl Voice. This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And he's yelling again at me. I'm Robert. <laughs> I thought they put a word in edgewise. Lately, I haven't been able to talk too much, you know? <laughs> Yes, yes, it's been one of those days. But today, I think you have something to introduce. I'm giving you the reins today. Oh, I get the reins today. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, usually we we try to, like, change up the show every now and then. You know, it's not so much about Robert talking to us. We decided to have other people talk to us. We actually have guests, real guests this time. So come closer. There, There are two of them on our show. Crazy. I know, right? BJ and Me Too. Me Too. Wow. Me Too. <laughs> See, we're going to get it right before the end of the show. <laughs> so BJ and Me Too, what do you guys do? Sure. Hi, everyone. We're from the Pilot Podcast, and we're all about reviewing the pilot episodes of TV shows and answering the question, should I watch this? Hey, I've asked that a few times. <laughs> should I watch this? So I'm like looking at it quizzically. You, yes, you, no, the physical. Usually, usually there's nobody in the room with me while I'm asking these questions, which is kind of disturbing, but. <laughs> yeah, at least, BJ, you seem to have a partner that you can ask that question to before you start. So, Me Too uh, helps you out with that question and the answer, I assume, as well. Well, we can be in the room with you in your ears, which is great. And we try to keep our reviews pretty tight so that, you know, it's not the same length of the television show to determine whether it works to watch it or not. So you can get the synopsis in like what, three to five minutes, but you guys do a little bit longer. Obviously your podcast is a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Do you do just one episode or one show or do you just like go through the current ones that are out? We do one episode per pilot and we tend to focus on current shows, but we've actually gotten a lot of wonderful feedback from our listeners and shows that they want us to review in this off season because in the fall we're much busier with lots of pilots coming out, but in the summer, there aren't as many, so we've gotten a lot of recommendations to try different shows. Like, we did Doctor Who. We did what else have we done? We did La Casa de las Flores. We did Letter Kenny, Big Little, Big Little Lies. Lies. So we've we've jumped around a bit um, this summer, which has been really fun. But yeah, each one has one episode dedicated to it. And I'm curious because you you mentioned a few varieties there. Is it a situation where you sometimes are? You don't just go through the main CBS, NBC, Fox, and you know all that. You guys do a little bit of the outskirt channels as well. Then the the lesser knowns. Yeah, we really like to mix it up. Obviously, your main networks like ABC, CBS have a lot of the popular and new shows, but we do like to go to streaming platforms. We'll even go to uh, cable channels like Epics. So we want to make sure we kind of hit every every location that you can watch tv nice nice so is it more like like a like a passion thing uh that you that you both like kind of like hey you know we both like doing this thing i think other people would like to listen to us is that how it kind of uh started i think it actually started over gchat let me know if i'm sharing this incorrectly beach but (laughs) bj and i have been friends for 10 years now and We love television a lot, and we joke that we're both pretty judgy or judgmental people when it comes to the things that we like or dislike, and I think we were G-chatting 
I guess it had to be a few years ago. And BJ was like, what if we could put our judgy natures to work to help other people determine what kind of shows they like? And I get that there's a little bit of hubris with assuming that we can determine what shows are worth watching, but we're pretty explicit in our episodes about our interests. So if you'll listen, you'll notice that BJ is not really a comedy guy. He's more of action and drama and sci-fi. And I am obsessed with comedies. And so you have a sense of our leanings when we make our recommendations after we uh, view an episode. Now, there's been a lot of, um, I would almost call them the, the, the classic sitcom comeback. Like the real, like you watch these new shows, especially in the comedy genre, if you will. But even like on Netflix, um, my, I, we, we both have kids and my daughter was watching um, One Day at a Time. I love One Day at a Time. Okay. And she loves it too. She's obsessed. And I, because she watches it all the time with me around, I kind of got a a sense of it. And I was like, this is classic situational comedy stuff. This is, this is like going back to the eighties and well, not the eighties so much, but like the nineties and two thousands where we're revisiting that formula over again. Have you seen, cause you're the comedy gal, if you will, if you don't mind the vernacular, um, is that kind of a trend you're seeing? Is it still very – it's kind of going back to a very traditional format for comedies? So I do think that multicams are making a comeback in a way that is interesting to see because with the with that era of The Office and 30 Rock and Parks and Rec in the mid-aughts, people were obsessed with single cam shows, period. And so the idea of a multicam feels kind of retro, but – has been making a really big comeback. And I have read, I'm not sure how, I don't know if other people are obsessed with television as much as BJ and I am, but, or as BJ and I are, but um, I've been reading lots of interesting cultural commentary about the fact that given in, in, in a larger context, the news, there's like a never before exposure we've had to the news and tragedies and clashes of, opinions and divides and all this stuff so people argue that right now there's this return to fuzzier brighter happier tv versus um like seven years ago there being this ushered in era of all dark heroes and dark comedies and dark tv so i'm sure one day at a time and other shows are part of that because Jane the Virgin is a great example. I think uh, Gina Rodriguez won the Golden Globe before the first season was even over because it was just a bright, fun show. And so people are really tuning into and rewarding that has been my impression. So, BJ, since uh, Me Too said that you were more the the serious one here of the two, (laughs) I mean – when you see when when you see these uh, these pilots for these uh, shows – and you and they kind of like say this is going to have the most action and and the most you know drama contained in one show. Get ready, hold on. Have you have you had a, a an experience where like wow they actually lived up to all the hype? Have you had that experience yet? Yeah, I've had that experience a few times this year. Um, I could say some of the highlights have been like. Perpetual Grace LTD, which we reviewed recently. That was a really cool neo-noir thriller. 
It has some good acting, some good mysteries. And even earlier this year, we reviewed uh, I Am the Night. And that also has a good mystery and some good, more subtle action. So it's not like crime fighting action, but you get some kind of thrilling scenes as a girl is running away and there's some chase scenes running into sketchy people. So I definitely say this year is living up to my expectations in terms of drama. There's definitely more comedies, though, unfortunately, <laughs> in my opinion. I think we should <laughs> have a little bit more action, but there are plenty of superhero shows to to fill that desire. Well, that's a that's a that's a good segue because I want to I want I'm going to come back to you, me too, on the the cultural thing because that's I really want to talk about that a bit because that's something we've seen in in TV forever because i i watch those old documentaries they talk about the decades like the mm-hmm. decades of tvs and the decades they're, they're called the decades the 90s the 80s whatever and they they really kind of touch on that point so i want to get back to you guys because you guys are really kind of in the thick of what's going on now for tv which is a reflection but the superhero thing a lot of the mainstream stuff obviously the cw is kind of ruling the the whole you know genre at the moment but what else is out there what are those some of those little hidden nuggets in the superhero genre the action superhero genre that's kind of out there Or are there any? Hidden Nuggets is a good way to put it because I'm just thinking of all the big shows. And BJ, you're more the expert there because I know you watch The Flash. And do you also watch Supergirl? I used to. I dropped that after two seasons. (laughs) Got a little camp, didn't it? (laughs) It did. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like you try to find a show, a superhero show that's not too camp. Like we were watching, I was watching for a while, Cloak and Dagger. Ah, mm. oh, that started. That off did strong. start off strong. Second season wasn't quite as good, and it did fall off a little bit. But is there anything else coming out like that, or is or we kind of got the best of the best at the moment? I'd say next year is going to be really exciting with Disney Plus. <laughs> it is streaming TV, but I think that's where we're really going to see the power of Marvel Studios and their money to invest in some good superhero shows unlike what netflix could do um and i'm actually pretty confident that cw is gonna keep things going i think they have batgirl coming Mm -hmm. out um and they're just continuing to expand that Arrowverse universe so there's still there is still some hope but again going back to it as as you kind of say mitsu it's it's a lot of comedies and you said it's you're seeing a lot more of those coming out than the action and 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 the thriller and stuff like that you know the good old days of of classic uh good dramas is kind of fading a little bit to the light of these uh humors but given that and you said that the culture is kind of shifting that way do you see in the near future it's shifting back at all, or do you feel that there's going to be like comedy, 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 they're just going to keep going that direction based on the pilots you guys have seen so far? I don't know because culture is so cyclical. I, um, speaking of college, in college, to overcome my fear of scary movies, I took a horror movie class and I learned so much about we. I didn't overcome my fear, and that class was miserable, <laughs> but. Um, I learned so much about how art can be reflective of culture because basically every single major horror movie that we watched was in reaction to something big happening in culture. I think, um, I don't know if it's because uh, 
I live in DC, but I think the election, the upcoming general election might affect how we get our culture or it definitely will. So um, depending on how folks feel about how that turns out, we'll see if we'll have happier times and thus then that reflective dark comedy, dark hero thing happening again, or if we'll have um, not so happy and angry times and then we'll still have people cranking out as many good place and other bright and fun shows as possible i'm i'm not sure but i mean all of these what's old is always new again so we'll see so i i i my i don't have much exposure to like the behind the the scenes stuff but i do hear like a lot of names that come around when it comes to pilots and like there's some people that are kind of like the quote-unquote pilot like fixers like you bring this name on and they're known – they have like really good work with fixing pilots or if somebody's name is like tied to a pilot, like it holds a little bit more credibility. Like right off the top of my head, you know, Alan Sorkin uh, comes to mind. Do you guys ever like hear about that type of stuff? Like you hear about something in development and then they assign a name like that to a project and then it gets you excited. Who are those names? So I was just thinking about that actually. Um, so yeah, so there's, of course, Aaron Sorkin is like the legendary writer. My my apologies, Aaron Sorkin. (laughs) No, no worries. I think one good example of that, that we saw last year was the show Ghosted. It was, it's a, it was a Fox comedy, I believe that starred Adam Scott and, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name, Beach, Daryl from The Office. That's as much as I remember about his name. (laughs) Craig Robinson. It starred Adam Scott and Craig Robinson. And it was, in my opinion, pretty funny, but clearly on the verge of being canceled, just couldn't bring in that um, big audience that it needed to stay on. And then as a Hail Mary toward the end of the show, they brought on Paul Lieberstein, who is known as Toby from The Office, but he also, while on The Office, was a producer and a writer. They brought him on to salvage the last half of the season, and people saw a marked difference in the quality of the comedy on the show. It just got way more interesting and way funnier. And the characters I would argue became way more compelling, but it was just too little too late. I think they brought him on for the last six episodes and they were wonderful, but it just, it was too far gone for them to, to save the show. So you, you say, so you guys have seen then kind of a, a show really kind of kick off as you said like towards the the end so he was like the last six episodes you said so it kind of gets really good halfway through almost depending on that because it's usually what 16 18 episodes if yeah. the pilot goes well yeah, so um brought him on for the latter half of the season and then it just kind of disappears at that point i mean if it, if it doesn't do well because it's it seems really kind of wonky as to which ones make it and which ones don't like what pilots kick off is, is there something that you guys have seen that say, okay, this is definitely going to do it? Or have you been like every time it's a surprise what actually gets picked up or not? I don't think we're that surprised uh, when shows get canceled or if they get renewed for another season. Unfortunately, I think there are some common tropes, common storylines that are always going to be popular, especially when it comes to sitcoms or like cop procedurals or law-related shows, 
you can tell if they're using those same common common elements they'll probably get another season or if a show comes from a franchise or a book series that has a cult following you can usually be confident they'll get a second season and then there will be shows that we personally love but we know that it's such a niche audience that there just won't be enough people for it to get renewed so those shows will get canceled not because of quality but just because not enough people are going to be interested um so i i would say at this point after the number of shows we've watched we're pretty good at predicting when a show will get canceled or renewed even if you don't want it to obviously yeah, this is completely separate from our own personal opinion. <laughs> what what has been one of those recently you guys have seen that you like, I, I really know this is going to get canceled, but it's so niche that we literally are, it's going to go bye-bye. Me Too liked a comedy called Rel. <laughs> I didn't like it, and I knew it was going to get canceled, and she knew it was going to mm-hmm. get canceled. I watched it knowing the show was going to go away, but I just love Lil Rel Howery. He's the comedian who led the show and I love that he got the opportunity to have a sitcom centered around his life in the same way that other comedians have had the opportunity to have sitcoms based on their lives but I knew that it was going to get canceled they brought in Sinbad and they had these internet famous comedians join and everyone was great I thought I thought their chemistry was great and it you just knew it was going to get canceled unfortunately that's sad because <laughs> I've seen that happen. I mean, and it's it's always sad. Even even past a pilot, you know, when things get canceled, that you're like, you know, finish my story for God's sake, just finish it off, rather than the episodic ones, which is like, okay, you gave me an ep- episodes, you could go on forever, but there's no arc left to give me unless you do a brand new one. But if it's just a pilot and then they don't pick it up at all, that's just kind of it's hard. It's hard, especially if you fall in love with the characters at all. Um, so that's the, the as you said the comedy one. Has there any been anyone in the drama, sci-fi, other realms that you guys have seen that uh, you really find and fell in love with and had the same unfortunate fate? Uh, I don't think Me Too has seen the show, but Continuum. It was like a science fiction drama series, a Canadian show. I thought it was really good on Showcase, but I could tell after the second season that it was going to get canceled. And it actually kept going a little bit, and they let the writers kind of wrap up a finale with a half season, um, which unfortunately wasn't enough time to truly wrap up the story. But I think midway through the second season, you could see the decline, and the signs were there. It wasn't going to last. And it sounds like, and it feels like like some of these shows, like Continuum, for example, is a great one, because I keep seeing that. I can't tell if I don't remember if I saw my Netflix queue or my Amazon Prime queue, but I've seen it on one of them keep popping up. And it seems like, and um, I think recently we saw Orville do this, we saw um, Lucifer do this. These shows that have a strong audience but no home go behind that paywall. Has, mm-hmm. Have you seen a lot of these pilots take that direction or they just kind of fade from existence completely? They don't even try. I think one show that's a good example of that, that couldn't find its home on broadcast TV, but then unfortunately failed to resonate with the streaming audience was Designated Survivor. It, I believe, got two seasons on network TV, 
and I thought it was interesting. I watched it, but I'll pretty much fall for any political drama. And then it was picked up by Netflix, but I think that's another case of potentially too little too late and maybe too far a gap from when it was canceled from network television to Netflix. But it just wasn't successful on Netflix, so they canceled it after the third season, which kind of stunk because it was really great as a Netflix show because they were allowed to have no commercials, more drama, even cursing, things that you would imagine would happen in a very stressful White House where all of Congress is wiped away with the terrorist attack. You can't quite convey the stress of that, I think, on network television. And they did a wonderful job of that on Netflix. But unfortunately, I think that was another one that it just, I don't know, maybe that wasn't the home for it either. So my my question is kind of like a little bit of a story assigned to it. So for a few months, probably a year, I kept seeing that uh, DC Universe had their own streaming app. And one of the shows they were going to have on it was called Swamp Thing, right? So all of us comic people were like, oh my gosh, we're going to get a Swamp Thing. It's That's so cool because it's such a, a rich story and a lot of characters, right? And then like it debuted, and apparently it debuted very strong. Like it got really good reviews that that pilot episode and then the second week dc steps up and says yeah no we're, we're killing the project so you guys gotta enjoy it while it lasts like i think there's only six episodes of it um have you ever like you know seen another like is this more like a studio thing or is this more like a um like a numbers game that you've noticed when it comes to these pilots I'd say it's more of a studio thing. At the end of the day, yes, they want to entertain us, but the business side of things wins out a lot. Um, And so if that audience isn't really big enough, then even if you have a really good show like Swamp Thing, which I was really excited about and watched the pilot and thought it was really cool, I think it's still going to struggle, especially on a platform like DC Universe, which... I personally question why DC needed their own streaming service. But nowadays, I guess that's the trend for every studio to have their own. So we can all just subscribe to like 50 different ones. But anyway, I think it's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, that, that, yeah. I think it is all about the studio really seeing how they respond and Another like weird thing to keep in mind is that some of these decisions are made by some executives who might not even be the biggest TV fans and aren't necessarily listening to the audience. They're just looking at like raw numbers, like early reviews, and they're trying to project how a show might do when your audience could tell you that they are going to support it, but they don't really listen to that. So there's a lot of different things going on, but it's all about the behind the scenes of who's working on the project. And that can decide, is this worth continuing or not? I think a really fun example of that is with The Office. In Rain Wilson's memoir, he talks about the fact that The Office was... It was very difficult for The Office to find its audience, and their first season was only six episodes. But they for whatever reason, did a great job of targeting young people. So that elusive, 
you know, 13-ish to 23, 24-year-old audience, for whatever reason, a very boring, you know, a, a show that depicts the boring nature of office life resonated really well with middle and high schoolers. And the head of the network's son or grandson pushed him to keep the show on air. So it had nothing to do with whether he liked it or anyone else. It was just this kid really pushed him. And then they looked into the data and found that young people like the show. So even if the masses weren't watching it yet, they could finally have advertising where they can actually target the audience that they uh, that they're promising to target through these ads. Which is so interesting to me because that is that is so the case because I have a 16 year old if you can believe that nonsense. Um, <laughs> but he's obsessed with the office. I mean even now I mean he has the theme song as his ringtone. he has memes up the wing yang about it. His sister who's you know just about to turn 13 is enamored with it will watch the seasons over and over and over again. I mean, it's, I don't get it. Like, I do not get this at all. That's what young people are watching. Young people are watching right now. There's this huge resurgence of watching old television shows or old to them on streaming shows. And and you've seen this with The Office, but they're watching The Office. They're watching How I Met Your Mother. And they're watching Friends. Yeah, my daughter especially. Yeah, my daughter is th- – that is it. I mean, and it's so weird to me because those are like not kids' shows to me at all. At all. And you just, you just literally read off my kids' reading, <laughs> my, my kids' watching list. They will watch How You Met Your Mother wherever and whenever they can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really available yet in any streaming form. They're like, oh, we're buying episodes. Screw this. You know. And my daughter is obsessed with friends. I don't get it. It's like, okay – I mean, I understand it. Like, how you mentioned it was fun. Don't get me wrong, but it is so raunchy and so not appropriate for <laughs> my twelve-year-old at all. But she loves it, and I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah, and that's where all the money is. Like with Office, NBC is yanking it from Netflix so they can put it on their own streaming platform because they know that's going to bring in subscribers. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's such such a weird thing, but I'm very glad for it. I mean, it keeps those kinds of shows out there, and there are some of those types of shows that are good. I mean, and then you got the other side of it, which we're going to get to after after our quick commercial break. I want to talk about the other side of the coin, not the live action shows, but I want to see if you guys watch the pilots for animated shows as well, because there's a lot of those coming up too. But before we get to that fun, fun tap topic, I want to talk briefly about a couple of things and we're going to do a quick commercial. If you are not listening to us right this second on PodCoin, switch over and listen to us on PodCoin because you will get credits so that you can get gift cards or help out charities, whatever you wish. Listen to us on PodCoin and they've helped us a lot get us a larger audience and we want you guys to get a little something back from doing that as well from listening to us so listen to us on podcoin if you're not but i also want to talk about here in just a hot second about anchor and then we'll come right back and ernie will give us his famous line see you in a minute seamless transition and return ernie you know and i know that that cartoons if you will, I mean, you can still call them that, right? I mean, it's appropriate, um, are playing a large role in all of TV. Do you guys do, or have you guys done any of the pilots of animated shows at all? Or is that something you've thought about doing? We have included anima- animated series. 
Um, that is something we do personally watch as well. So we try to mix that in there just to make sure we're hitting all the different genres. What are some of the ones you guys have seen? And and you kind of talked about some of the behind the scenes stuff of how it works for live action, or I guess you could call it live action, but real human shows. Does those kind of same factors filter in for the comedy or is it or for the animated stuff or is it a little bit different? I'd say it's some of the similar mechanisms. So one show that we both really enjoy is Hilda on Netflix, which is a children's animated series, but people of all ages can enjoy it. Um, I think one of the interesting things about that is it is based off of like a book series or graphic novel series. So you have that franchise, which is helping push getting it a second season. But I think one of the trickier things with animated series is the production time tends to run longer than these live action shows. So I think studios will take more time before they make a decision about a second season just because they know that it's a real time investment to produce a single season, even a single episode. So they're more patient with watching how an animated series performs before they make any of these calls on what to do next. All right, so I'm going to... I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Um, I just remember my shows growing up as a kid, um, you know, because it were only three, the three networks at the time, uh, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and each one had like their go-to show. Um, and I noticed that like a lot of times it was always said filmed in front of a, of a you know, studio audience, uh, a live studio audience. Um, some of them you could tell was like canned laughter, um, things like that. But now what I've noticed recently, I haven't seen any shows where like you hear an audience laughing or like they're filming it live or even like it looks like it's live, like a, like a, like a play production. Do you think that's just like a, like a cyclical thing? Like what you talked about before or, or what do you think it is? Or, or is that something that we'll never see again? I think we're returning to that a bit with our multicam, especially the multicam comedies, because one day at a time has audience laughter. It's filmed on a live stage. Big Bang Theory was filmed on a live stage. Mom on CBS, another Chuck Lorre show, was filmed on a live stage. And there are actually, other than One Day at a Time, which I think now is moving to pop TV because it was canceled from Netflix, there are a couple family sitcoms we've seen. I believe one is actually just called Family. And uh, on Netflix that are filmed on a live stage. So I believe we're seeing a bit of a return to that. At least I've noticed that with comedies. And I think it picks up on that kind of retro feel that people are starting to like again. So you kind of get a old school feeling of hearing the audience there watching the show. So even if you're watching it alone... You're not really watching it alone. <laughs> now, now, one of the variants of the the studio audience is the is the live studio audience. Is there? I mean, was that an oxymoron? Is there really a difference? I mean, is there like an option where they're watching the show recorded, and they're not really there at the time the show aired? Is there is there that type of thing, or is that just something that they just decided it's a, a catchphrase? 
like putting when you say live studio audience do you mean is it actually filmed in front of an audience right remember yeah because like, like like ernie was talking about it was like in the old days it would say like filmed in front of a live studio audience well would it be like a recorded episode and they play it in front of an audience is that an option or is it just like an oxymoron that they just kind of came up with a phrase to make it sound better so they do film in front of an actual audience you got to see that a bit in the 90s with all that and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and other shows where sometimes as part of the show, they would hop into the audience. And so they would turn the camera on those folks. And um, Anna Ferris on her podcast talks about how rewarding it can be to have the immediate feedback of people laughing at the jokes as she delivers them on mom. So I I believe for the most part they'll, they're filmed in front of a live studio audience. I'm not sure how they do the on-location shots. I think that's a mix of sometimes they're able to bring in a soundstage that looks like the location they're trying to convey, and other times for some of those flashback or on-location shots, perhaps that's when you bring in a monitor and let people react to that. And they do do the old school, um, you know, with the lights – the that neon sign that says you know applause or laugh or hold so they people still show up for for live tapings of these things which is, sounds like it would be a fun experience just to be a part of it too um now i was i've been watching a show kind of the sci-fi realm um because i know i just saw supernatural did its farewell tour i've been watch i, I tried to watch it couldn't get into that but i've been watching a lot of grim and they do a ton of outdoor scenes. I mean, every other episode, they're in a forest somewhere. Um, and mostly it's Washington State, I think. I, I think is where the filming was. I'm not 100% on that. Do you see a lot of shows in the comedy realm more doing that these days? Because you guys are seeing all the new pilots. Or is it really still kind of an action drama where they do a lot of outdoor and out-in-the-world scenes? I think... Com- I think go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, BJ. <laughs> I think with comedies, when you see people outdoors, it's very much a city-based location. So outside of a restaurant, out in a neighborhood, out in front of like a police station. But if you really want to see like outdoors things where people are filming in like Washington or Vancouver, out in the more wooded areas, that's still limited to sci-fi, action, more thriller, mystery-related shows. I think that's the case unless the setting is part of the joke or part of, you know, for example, on Sex and the City, they say the fifth one was New York, the fifth main character of the show, or on shows like Letter Kenny and Schitt's Creek, which we've reviewed, or Schitt's Creek is coming, but we just reviewed Letter Kenny. They're both set in small Canadian towns, and part of the joke is the setting and so you really have to get to know their town through the characters so i i'm assuming that you guys like not only limit your realm to just u.s based stuff you also mentioned canada before have you ever like come across something from like europe or something like that that's kind of like wow you know surprisingly i thought this was gonna suck because it's a different culture but actually i kind of get it it's pretty good have you ever come across any of those? Yeah, I think Mitsu and I have both had that experience on separate shows. Um, so I had never seen Doctor Who, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. 
And Me Too had never seen a Korean drama, and we reviewed Sky Castle. And if I remember correctly, you really liked that Me Too. I loved Sky Castle. I dove pretty deep into it after we reviewed it. So how how where do you go? I mean, because like Doctor Who is pretty, even though it's a you know a British show, and there a lot of British stuff you can get at least on like a streaming service. But where else do you go to kind of see some like you said the Korean drama and stuff? Where do you go to find these to even watch them? Is there is there a, is there one place you can go that if you want to watch international shows, here's where you go, or you just kind of have to kind of pick and choose and just find it as you can. So I think nowadays we are fortunate enough that it's becoming more common to watch these different shows from around the world. And so with like Korean dramas and really just a lot of Asian dramas, there's a website called Viki, V-I-K-I, where they actually will provide these with ads, but it's still a free website with subtitles in various languages also services like Crunchyroll and even Hulu are starting to offer a lot of these Asian dramas. And then in terms of like European shows or South American, Central American shows, I think Netflix is pulling a lot of the weight and Hulu as well in bringing those to an American audience. And really that kind of shows you kind of, kind of have to take a chance on. You don't know what you're going to deck get with them but a lot of them um one of the ones i, I was I, I keep meaning to watch but everybody's been raving about is the one percent one um which is also uh i want to say portuguese i'm not 100 percent on where it came from originally but it's a it's it was a sort of movie but really kind of a mini tv show um that got rave reviews so there's a lot of hidden gems out in 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 the foreign market as well that we're finally getting a, kind of a sense of um over the last year what's been have you been able to pilot you said you at least pilot one or two and it sounds like the korean one's your favorite was there a, another like a list of like the top three foreign shows that are still on um that would be something that people should go out and like really kind of take a look at i loved la casa de las flores on netflix it's actually an original production from netflix mexico they also have another reality show called taco chronicles from netflix mexico that's really good that's yeah i started watching that that's really good it's so good. It, I don't eat meat, but I really was tempted by those Al Pastor tacos in the pilot episode. <laughs> <laughs> but La Casa de las Flores, if you like, it's, it's, it's funny, it's juicy, it's full of drama. I don't really binge things anymore, not as much as I used to. But when BJ and I finished watching that, I think I finished it within that week. It was so good. And if you like anime or animated series, Ultraman on Netflix. So Netflix has uh, been working with a Japanese studio in order to produce an, an adaptation of a manga. That's pretty good. And it's renewed for a second season. If you listen to our review, we didn't like the pilot episode. But I kept going because the second episode, <laughs> that is when it gets really good. Lots of action in that show. Ah, uh, the, the, the slow burn effect is what, what that's called, right? Yeah, honestly, mm -hmm. they should just cut that first episode and start from number two, and more people would probably give the show a chance. Now, that's a very interesting point. You mentioned it with, with that show, but 
there's got to be other ones that you're like, okay, the first episode, I don't even know they take the chance anymore, right? But if they take the chance, the first episode is absolute crap. I'm like, all right, we're going to give you a second chance here. One more, and the other, the second episode, like they did it with Star Trek way back, the original, original. The first pilot episode was awful. But the second episode, they changed everything out, and it was much better. I mean, you know, it's still corny as hell, but, you know, whatever. But have you seen that where the first episode, the pilot you watched was awful, and you said, just like you did, you know, I stuck with it, and oh my god, it got really good after that first episode. We haven't talked about this one on the show, but the example I always give when we do suggest to listeners to give it one more episode because we can tell the bones are there for a good show is Parks and Rec. We, <laughs> I love that show, and it, <laughs> but that first, I would argue, whole season was you have to really muscle through that, and then they find their groove later, and that's when it becomes wonderful. Yeah, I that's remember cool. watching that first season. I was like, what is this show really about? Is it about her? Is it about him? Is it a thing? Or Yeah, it was weird that they tried to introduce that will they, won't they with, I can't even remember his name now, but he wasn't that compelling a character. I'm glad they quietly kind of shuffled him off of the show so we could just focus on Leslie being this awesome municipal servant. but. Um, I think that is the example we always use. Beach, can you remember any shows where we wanted people to give it a chance? I feel like maybe Shrill. Shrill, was one. we were a little mixed. We saw potential in it, mm-hmm. um, although I don't think either of us gave it much of a chance. <laughs> but that's. <laughs> you, you tell other people. You guys go watch it. Let us know. I I did actually watch a couple more episodes. Yeah, and I think that. And did it work out? I thought it got better, which is what we were assuming from the first episode. I would argue if you want to watch Shrill, the standout episode is the, I think it's the fourth episode. It's the pool party episode. That's the one. And then the rest, I think, are fine. (laughs) Fair enough. So I have I have two questions. I'll, I'll give the first one. All right. So the first one is: Have you ever like lately, like with all these big shows that have like come and gone, and they had like huge followings? Which one of those was like the one that anytime someone brought up to you because you mentioned that you, uh, you know, you do these pilot reviews and you kind of like have an idea about shows and what's going to work and what doesn't? What's one that like when you hear everybody say you kind of just roll your eyes and say, "Oh gosh, another one of these." Oh, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> could be a whole bit now. You could do it in your podcast. This is another one of these. I don't think this negatively, but like BJ said earlier, we tend to know when a show is going to take off. So, for example, when we reviewed, is it called The Good Doctor? When we reviewed The Good Doctor and we we reviewed New Amsterdam, those were two medical dramas with lead doctors with hearts of gold who only want the best for their patients and they each have their own complicated stories. And as soon as we watched them, while those shows aren't necessarily for me, I thought they were quality 
submissions in that genre of medical dramas and we knew that they were And I'd add a million little things to that list as well. Oh, yes. Well, it's funny. I actually watched The Good Doctor and we got like through like most of the first season, but then we kind of petered out and I haven't heard really heard much about it since then, but I know it's still I think it's still on, right? It's like the second or third season now, isn't it? Yes, it's still very popular. Yeah, and it's like I'm not sure why we fell off of it per se, but it it, it definitely had that kind of. I mean, it kind of made me reminiscent for okay, he's the exact opposite. These are the exact opposite type of characters, like of, of mm. uh, the old dr- Doctor dramas, like like House, you know, where he's a cantankerous and hates everybody. You know, this is the and you kind of talked about it culture wise, which I t- said we would get back to. Um, you know, the culture of of going to a positivity. You're not seeing those. Um, and you say the dark hero, but even the anti-hero or, or the negative Nelly, you know, the guy who's always just everything's awful because I say so, because, you know, everything has to be awful because that's what it is, you know, in medical or dramas or whatever. And even in comedies, you know, even the, even the characters that are the negative Nellies really don't get as much airplay and they do it more as a sarcasm than an actual, you know, dark character. And, and that's a direction I think uh, you guys kind of mentioned that you guys are seeing. Is that kind of is that kind of the right thing, right way of putting it? Yeah, I think it's something that we've noticed. And we've talked about this on our show. We recently reviewed Big Bang Theory's pilot ahead of its series finale. So that was kind of a silly one because there's no way we can recommend to our listeners whether or not they should watch it. That show is of the most popular shows ever. They don't need our bump of approval or seal of approval. (laughs) But I thought I was going to dislike it because I fell off of the show. I watched it, I think the first couple seasons and fell off. I lost interest in it. And there was something so comforting about the pilot, I think is the word we kept using, Beach, that it was like, (laughs) you know, after a long work day and dealing with all these New York Times alert on your phone and I don't know just encountering all of these things when you sit down on your couch after all of that do you really want to then think really hard for another hour or do you want to just unwind for a moment and it felt like the perfect show for that I I genuinely enjoyed watching the pilot and that kind of seems to be a, a, a direction, as you kind of said, it's, it's we're kind of going back. You want the comfort on your on your television set at the, at the end of your day, a way to unwind and relax. And, and again, we're currently binging uh, – I'm currently binging uh, Grimm. And even though it's not like the most pleasant of shows at all moment, it kind of gives you that comfort of, you know, well, at least I don't have it that bad. You know, it kind of gives you a different sense of it. But it still gives you a sense of comfort. Well, my life, life isn't that bad. I don't have to think too hard with this um you know and it kind of gives you that sense of 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 joy in, in a weird way of of comfort you know let's go back to that word you can't think of a better one but that's the word right um so so let us know because we've been here if you can believe it, it's almost been 50 minutes so we've been mm-hmm. talking this is you guys have a wealth of knowledge at your fingertips that you guys just absorbed through the television medium obviously <laughs> sitting from the boob tube has done you well Give us, give us some, some, a moment. I know it's the off season, as you said right now. What are you guys going to be doing next? What are the next type of pilot episodes and old retro shows you'll be going and back CW, to? CW, you know, like it or hate it. They have some exciting shows coming up. 
we're both excited for the new Nancy Drew series that's going to premiere this fall. And if you're a fan of the Riverdale yes. universe, um, they're also having a new spinoff with Katie Keene. Um, we're also really sad that one of our favorite shows, iZombie, is about to have its series finale. So we're going to be watching that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a comment. I love that show. And I hope they wrap it up well. They've done so well with that with those seasons. I was like, yeah, okay. You guys have a story to tell. Let's finish it right. Sorry. That's my two cents there. <laughs> no, you're right. Mm-hmm. No, that is a perfect reaction. <laughs> and I think in terms of older shows, one that we've really wanted to get to is Rick and Morty. Um, more adult comedy. Kind of check that out. It'll be interesting to see how we both <laughs> I'd react like to hear to that, that myself. Like yeah, I, I will be listening to that one because I have very mixed feelings on that show. Very mixed feelings. I don't know what to take from that show half the time. And that's, that really was for a hot blip there. That was a yeah. cultural phenomenon, and then it just kind of fell off again. But it, for a hot minute, it was like the thing. Oh, it's and then, still the thing, I think. People amongst a very weird audience, I, I got to say. I mean, I enjoy it sort of, and I know a lot of people do, but it's a very weird, eclectic group of people who are watching that. I don't know. I, I just can't get my wrap my head around the audience who's watching it. I mean, I watched it with my 16-year-old son. He thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. I'm like, yeah, it's it's weird. That That's that's what I can give you off that. It's it's weird. I'm glad you enjoy it. Good luck with it. Oh, <laughs> Maybe it's I, just me. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm actually scared I won't like it. But I just know that people love it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch. There's no in-between on it. It's like if you're in it, you're really into it. If you're not, then you're going to know right off the bat. You're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not my thing. Yeah, no, he's totally right. And that's kind of where I fell. I fell. My son's into it. I'm watching it for him. I'm not watching it for me. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna to let us know when you launch that episode. We'll definitely promote that, and we're definitely going to listen to you guys ourselves and see what you guys have to say because that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I'd like to see if you really guys – you guys seem perfect – the perfect match for the show you do because you both have very different tastes and very different opinions, uh-huh. and that kind of um, really plays well off each other, I think. So that's that's really cool. Um Thank you guys so much for coming on our little show, um, the pilot podcast. Listening to them, you guys are weekly, correct? Yes. So every week, try yeah. to be as much as you can, right? I know be. the feeling. Um, listen to them wherever you get your podcast. Any particular place you'd like them to listen to you more so than others? Or uh, the best place to find us is just to head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com, and you'll find all the links. There you go. So go listen to them. They are very smart and fun people to listen to. I listened to a couple of their older episodes. It's good stuff, good times, and they are going to be giving you the lowdown on all the things and answer that question for you of, should I bother watching this? And that's really a question we don't want to waste our times on, so let them do it. Um, it's, it's just like it's the perfect thing. It's perfect. I, I don't have to put any effort into my television watching. I just tie it, <laughs> chime in, listen to them, and see what they have to say, and I'm good to go. Um We've loved having you both on the show. Ernie, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Thank you. (laughs) BJ also. uh, Listen to us. Follow us. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, 
for the older video stuff, of course, the good Tumblr and Twitter, as always, two nerds, a joke, wherever you go. And we're on all, of course, your podcast needs. We will love to hear from you guys on what you want us to watch next. And let us know if you have any comments at two nerds, a joke at gmail.com. Ernie, like any good TV show, give us a solid ending with a story arc that we can get behind. Ah, peace out. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel. Hello? Hello. You can hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, you sound really good on this. There you go. So, we're now recording. We are? Yeah. Okay, where do you want me to pick up that? No, we'll just, we're going to start over. <clears throat> okay, all right. You were like three minutes in, so. Ooh, all right. You tell me when. And three, two, one. Thanks, disembodied hot girl voice. This is Two Nerds and a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And I am Robert. And I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Season four. Whoever thought, right? Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a couple shows that we've outlasted. Ooh, okay. Go on. All right. We did outrun the original run of Twin Peaks. That only lasted for like two seasons. Okay. Uh, we outlasted uh, Firefly. Yes. No. But go on. And we've outlasted the Mandalorian. <laughs> I, I'm just throwing that out there. Mandalorian <laughs> has one eight-episode season, and we have, like, what? We're now 40. doing our... We have how many? We had 40 episodes last season. See? Disney, you yeah. gotta catch up. You gotta yeah. catch up. Yeah, no, I, I can't no, we, argue. We are beating John Favreau at his game. There you go. There you go. We're hoping to be even more exciting and get closer to a full year of episodes this time. Because if you go by how many weeks or no years we're weekly podcasts, we should have how many episodes? 52, right? Right. So we got to like 46, 47. And that's with a couple of specials. So, you know, that that is that is we're a little behind where we should be. So we are going to be there even more so this year. But one of the biggest things we need to talk to, of course, is how we're going to start off this this year, how we're going to start off the season. And the best way to do that, of course, and this was Ernie's idea, was to go back to the beginning. And because the biggest event of Star Wars history just has happened this past week, we're going to talk Star Wars yeah. and spoil everything. Now, Ernie had a great idea, so I'm going to give him credit again. You know, we can give you our review of the movie. We are going to give full spoilers, you know, all the connections, all the things they shoved in there. It was chock full. Yes. But in true J.J. Abrams fashion. Yes. If you if you if you were a fan of any of his work, everything, everything that happens in his movies happens at a very quick pace. Oh, yeah. He does fast paced movies. No question there. This is totally that. But what we're also going to do, and this is, again, Ernie's idea, is to look at the other reviews that are out there and then just kind of decide, well, they're not quite where they should be, or, well, they're kind of on point. They did make some points, and and kind of go that way with it. Now, obviously, we've had a mostly hate, but a love-hate relationship with Rotten Tomatoes. 
So we are going to mention them and kind of use them as the guiding post, but there are other outlets we're going to utilize. Um, yes. But which which Rotten Tomatoes, from my understanding, is just a, a an aggregate of a whole bunch of different reviews slammed together. Right. It, and they're not supposed to have any bias whatsoever. Right. So we'll see. Now, what's interesting to me, the biggest interesting thing, is that it's at 55%. Rotten. Rotten. Which is weird. Because... Which, if you go by the... If you're if you're the casual fan... Mm-hmm. Alright, so back to back to the first point you made, how we all... How we first started this run on our podcast talking about the old, original classic trilogy versus the the... Next, uh, the next three movies, which were considered prequels, which came out in the early 2000s. Right. They were the last ones that were done by George Lucas. Right. At that point, when we started this podcast, The Force Awakens was still on the horizon. Mm-hmm. It still hadn't hit yet. So we didn't have the Disney-controlled Star Wars product when we started this. Correct. Since, since then, since then, I think the landscape has changed. Mm-hmm. People's opinions have definitely changed, especially with the theories that are out there about Rotten Tomatoes, Fandango, and Disney. Wow, yeah. And, and think about it. This is only dealing with Star Wars, so that tells you how big of a cultural phenomenon Star Wars has been. Yeah. That people are willing to put that much time and attention into what happens to Star Wars. Right. And, I mean, there's been the two arguments. I mean, you want to talk about old versus new. You can talk about... No Star Wars versus okay, guys. That's a lot of Star Wars. I mean, yeah, you know, people were like, "Give us more Star Wars," and Disney's like, "Yeah, now that we own it, we'll give you a Star Wars movie every year." And then, well, we were into year two or year three, and people were like, "Wait, wait, 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 we can't enjoy these movies because there's too many of them now." Well, and here's the other thing that Star Wars did, and Disney did, is they made it, and this movie is a perfect example. So that if you didn't watch everything, you didn't get almost anything. And that, I think, is a lot of what I see as an overarching theme. Is like, if you enjoyed The Last Jedi, you will enjoy this movie. The difference is, is that this movie makes so many connections to so many other things in the Star Wars universe. Was it needed to be done? They could have left a few things out. But again, going back to the fan service, that's the biggest thing, is that they shoved so much in that is it too much? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, now that it's all done, I think we can we could start with our, our three movies. So you had The, the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's, let's further clarify. Yes. We're going to talk specifically about the Skywalker storyline. Yes, which is interesting. They are officially calling it that now, the Skywalker Saga. Right. So you had episode 4, 5 and 6 that were released in 77, 80 and 83. Mhm. Um those were more the Luke and Leia movies. Right. And then but then there's that that other segment of the population that grew up on those movies that say Eh, it's really more the Darth Vader story. Sure. 
Okay, fine. If, I, I could see it both ways. Well, yeah, it's Skywalker. They're all Skywalkers. It's the Skywalker family. Does it need to be right. about one or the other? It's a little bit about everybody. I mean, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of a formula that you see throughout, is that it's about specific characters, but there are other people in it that you can connect with in these right. stories. So, so then from 83 to 97, mm-hmm. right? No Star Wars. Nothing. So we so a lot of us call that the dark times, right? Right. Um, a lot of books were written. Sure. Um, they fell in and out of comic book series. You know, Marvel pretty much was putting out a comic book every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were these books that were being written. They were they were called extended universe. Right. Now they're called legacy or legends or whatever. Now they're called leg- legends. legends. Once the after the then the prequels hit. And you had episode one, which did like phenomenal, right? Like it was like a billion dollars, right? And then like once the internet kicked back up, a lot of people were like, you know what? I really didn't like episode one, right? And then that started gaining traction. Everyone was like, oh yeah, episode one was crap. So then episode episode two comes out, right? And mind you, a lot of people were like, all right, this is kind of weird. We really don't like the main actor, you know, yeah. the way he's portraying this character like everyone found him to be annoying in that movie right bad script i I, no matter how much you say you can enjoy any of the original trilogies this script and his lines were awful i mean there's no getting around that no matter how generous you want to be i'm sorry even if you're a huge star wars fan is it there are good points to the movies don't get me wrong there are good points there's good story plots but oh my god that that him talking is just awful yeah, if you isolate just his dialogue and what he says in that movie and his actions in that movie, yeah. then then you're kind of like, yeah, this is the most un-Star Wars of all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Because in your mind, you had this image of, all right, Darth Vader in episode four, five, and six, um, he's pretty bad. Yeah. Like, how did he get to that point? Mm-hmm. Like, how come everyone fears him so much, right? Mm-hmm. You get into these prequels, which is supposed to explain that, and you're and you're seeing episode one. He's still a kid. Like, all right, we see how he gets discovered. His little origin story. Episode two, the movie does well. Mm-hmm. You know, but then it's like all the critics hammer it right oh, yeah. for all the flaws. Episode three comes out, and at this point, I think George Lucas was like, "Look, I am done with the complaints. Here it is." And he and he arguably puts out the best one of the three, right? Sure. Would you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. Out of those, out of that trilogy, the third movie was literally the best. And I mean, it's for the classic reasons. Obi-Wan versus Anakin. You know that fight happens. You had to know it. <sighs> epic. It was epic. Epic fight. Best, best lightsaber scene I think they've ever done. Yeah. It does do a number to what comes next to some extent. Because you know he's now Darth Vader and then you see his next fight with him and Obi-Wan. It's like, what happened, guys? You know, they're really old at this point, so I get that, but, you know, it's kind of weird. It's supposed to be, quote-unquote, 20 years. Right. Supposed to be. Right. They don't... And I mean, they look more, Obi-Wan they look more aged... <laughs> yeah, Obi-Wan aged horribly, all right? Yeah. Because he looked way past 20 years oh, of yeah, age yeah. there. Yeah, you're not... He's um, not looking much older than 50, so... Yeah, and and then uh, and then you go with Darth Vader himself. The way he moves in Episode Four, it's very predictable. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, he kind of spruces up in Episode Five and Six. Right, right. He moves a little bit better, but in Episode Four, he's a little clanky moving around in there in that fight scene with 
with uh, Obi-Wan. Right. But again, you can't – you got to take a grain of salt to it because of the fact of the production value, the understanding of what was going to be, what a lightsaber fight even meant. They had no clue. Right. So you, you right. got to take that grain of salt that, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but realistically, the – one, two, and three was more of what George Lucas wanted. He was involved with them. They were his story. Yeah, he was writing, directing. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did all of those. That things. was his story. So, you know, yeah. whether you like it or not, it is his story at that point. That's how he wanted Darth Vader to be depicted. He didn't have the budget, the, the wherewithal, you know, any anything like that for episode five, four, if you will, to yeah. be able to do that. So, fine. Fair enough. We'll take that with a grain of salt. Moving on. So you go into the original, the original trilogy that follows up, four, five, and six, a lot of amazing cinematography, a lot of action, a lot of great dialogue, a lot of great everything. You know, yeah. original story, original plot, yeah. everything is really cool. Not only amazing for its time, but stands up through the test of time. You know, even with the few Disney, um, you know, edits and changes throughout its history. You know, the fourth edition, or whatever it is up to now. Yeah, twenty the silver silver anniversary. Then there was the special editions. Then there were the extended versions right. with the extra scenes. And then it was George Lucas collection where he went back in and re re edited a lot of dialogue and a lot of scenes. Right. Um, not so much to episode six. He said episode six was very close to what he wanted. He to. wanted. Right. Um, so it was more in four and a little bit in five because in five he wasn't really that involved because he pretty much. I think the studios gave all the control over to uh, um, uh, Kirshner, okay. is what his name was, right. uh, who directed it. And also uh, Loris Kasdan and another writer wrote most of uh, Empire. Right. And those two movies, uh, episode four and episode five, are I think they're top 100 movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Which would make sense. Yeah. And I think episode four, I think it's in the top 10. I wouldn't argue it. I wouldn't argue it. I, could, I wouldn't be able to co if, confirm at this moment, but I could say I wouldn't argue it. But he but then you have you have all this. You have what forty years there, right? Mm -hmm. Thirty years at that point, because now it's forty. Thirty years at that point. So you have an entire generation who was pretty much raised into this, and then you had another one that was being brought into it with the prequels that were clashing. Right. It was a generational so gap. Yeah. So what's what's the what's the ultimate thing that Disney does, right? They basically say, hey, let's bring on this guy who rebooted Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. Which, again, also kind of split that universe, too. Not as badly, but definitely had its naysayers. No, yeah, because everyone said about the original Star Trek, the original Star Trek was more uh, science fiction with the emphasis on the science, right? Mm -hmm. And J.J. looked at that and said, "Yeah, I'm going to make it more Star Wars. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so everything was action, you know, Beastie Boys soundtrack, you know, uh, you know, Corvettes falling off of cliffs and things of that nature. Not bad stuff, just not no. what you're we used to. Yeah, you were used to like, you know, people sitting around on on the deck of a, uh, you know, in a command deck, you know, all coming together. And what should we do here? Should we like negotiate with them, or should we like not interfere? You know, it was a lot of discussion on what they were going to do. This one, it was just like, yeah, I, I'm Captain Kirk. We're going to open fire on these guys. Which, to be fair, if you go back to the original Star Trek, they kind of did that anyways. He was impulsive then. Yeah. So they didn't ruin that. They just emphasized it a little more. Over-exaggerated, I guess you would say. 
Yeah, and then you had like the ca- the cast. I mean, it was a great cast that they got for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. They were basically doing their best impressions of those previous actors right. playing those roles, which you know is a know. way of doing it. It's not bad. It's just the way they chose to do no. it. Which I mean, everyone loved Bones. Oh yeah, yeah. Which kind of parallels what happened with this? Here. Yeah. Now, yeah, we have to remember specifically for the casual viewer of Star Wars, you are missing 50% of Star Wars by being a casual viewer of Star Wars. Yes. Because everything is canon, everything counts, and everything is touched on in the movies, if you know where to look. Yes. If you're not watching Rebels, if you're not going to watch Rise of Resistance, if you didn't watch the Clone Wars animated series... Yeah, if that you was didn't... four seasons long, and that's yeah. like 110 episodes. If you Rebels, didn't read the comics, 120 yeah. episodes. Which I did watch all of that, which it does play in. If you didn't read the comics that came out as part of the canon, you're missing stuff. Is it big stuff? No. no. But when you're looking at these movies and you're looking at what Disney's doing, especially what Disney's doing with Marvel and what they're doing with Star Wars, they're giving you the big picture stuff. They give you the big moments, the big scenes. You want more detail? Go over there and read that. Go over there and watch that. Go over there and look at this. Rise of the Resistance, which is the new animated show they're coming out with, or that's on now, Yeah, explains all the background stuff that you don't get out of the movies. Yeah, because you, you don't understand why this current version of the Rebellion isn't as organized as the one you saw in the original trilogy. Exactly. You know, where is everybody? Why are they not coming to help? Blah, 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 blah. So forth and so on. So all of that stuff. Or even the Mandalorian. You, you, everyone said you yeah. were supposed to watch the Mandalorian before you went to go see this last movie also. Spoilers. And here's the thing. And I saw a meme about this yesterday speaking of that because that's a very – that's a perfect analogy. They're like, well, how come this, this, if this power existed, spoiler alert, you can force heal. If this power existed, why didn't Anakin use it to save Padme? Okay, first off, we don't know when this ability of being able to force heal came about. Nobody specifically said, oh, all Jedi know this internally. It's it's just part of who they are. No. This is knowledge. This is information. You have to learn this stuff. Anakin was taught barely. He was out doing stuff. Obi-Wan was not exactly the best teacher in the universe. Let's not fool ourselves. No, he was just the greatest Jedi warrior. Yes, he was a warrior, not a teacher. There is a difference there. He taught Anakin how to fight really well. Perfect. That doesn't mean he gained all the... It's like like if you're in in D&D. Let's take it as D&D, right? You're all human, and you got your swordsman human and your wizard human. They're not going to know each other's stuff. They may share the same race, or in this case, the same order. There's different ways of being a Jedi. And we've seen that, you know. So we know that Rey has some of the best people to teach her. Most likely, what I'm going to say is off screen, is that Leia was training her. Leia was trained by Luke, and Leia is going to be more of a healer than a warrior. Just nature of the beast. Well, if you if you went into this movie not seeing uh, the Force Awakens specifically, mm-hmm. then you're going to be at a complete disadvantage. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You have to at least watch the trilogy to get anything out of this movie. So, like when um, 
when when it first opens up, you know, she's you know going through training, and and it makes sense because when we first meet her, she doesn't give any clues that she's force sensitive or anything like that. No, she's she's just like on this desert planet, just you know, just trying to survive. Right, and that's when like essentially the war like falls in her lap, very similar to like what happened to Luke Skywalker in the very first movie, right? True. He was just minding his own business and the war just landed in his lap and then it turns out that he is basically like force sensitive himself and not only force sensitive, like he's really powerful and he just doesn't realize it. Right. Well, you know? and it's the same thing with Rey. It does take a lot of those same pieces. If you look at the trilogy as a whole, you look at the arc, there are some differentials because they're not going to just repeat the same things over, but there right. are uh, similarities in their story arcs. A little bit different, you know, there's uh, always that switched, you know, tempted by the dark side. Mm-hmm. You you come, you, you redeem yourself, you don't quite fall. I mean, for God's sake, you know, they both feared their parents. And then, yeah. and then, on top Poor of everything else, if you if you watch the Force Awakens, uh, Snoke, Supreme Leader Snoke, actually gives a like a little foresight. He's like, "You were bested by uh, a girl who mm-hmm. untrained, unpolished." So that's when it kind of clicked in for me in that first movie. Like, oh, she's just got raw power. She doesn't know how to use it. And you kind of saw it when she went toe to toe with Kylo, who at that point he had all the training. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he stops a laser blast with his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's pulling information out of people's brains. He knows you know? what he's doing. He's gotten yeah. trained. Yeah, he's and he's really strong with the Force. And I mean, he's pretty formidable. Oh yeah, um, no. I mean, he know, doesn't kinda, catch up until much later. Yeah, exactly. And then you see in the Last Jedi where like she's almost as equal with like little to no training whatsoever. Right. But again, you're talking a pal. I mean, spoiler alert. You're talking a pal. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yes. big spoiler. Um, major, and then it, major spoiler. And you know, the thing about this movie was they said it so nonchalantly. Like you, you're sitting there, and they say the story of like, I know who you are. You know, the reason why you know your parents left you wasn't because of you know them doing something else. It's because they were trying to protect you because you're being hunted by Palpatine. You're you're his granddaughter. And then it explains that his son was supposed to, like, bring her to him. Mm-hmm. So that way he could, like, use his Sith powers to move into her. Right. Right. He was, she was going to be the vessel of the new Sith. Yeah. So that way she could have, like, all 1,000 years or whatever it was, 1,000 millennia worth of Sith in her. And she'd be the most powerful Sith Empress ever, right? Is that what he said? Like, yeah. like that's what he basically. Which is a neat point, which I thought was kind of cool. So this is a big because people are like, well, what's the difference between the dark side and light side? Between one's considered evil, one's considered not. It's a it's a, a manipulation versus a cooperation. That's that one scene where I am all the Sith. He isn't being metaphorical. He's literally taken the energies of all the dead Sith before him that he's able to touch and suck their juices dry. Where with Rey, the others are with her, helping her, but they aren't in her. She hasn't sucked their powers dry and is using their powers for herself. That's the difference. 
And I think that's a very, I mean, that's one of the amazing scenes of the movie is you see that and you see clear cut the difference between force of good, you know, Jedi and the Sith. It's not about a religious order. It's not about a a cult, even though the Sith does kind of give that feeling there um, with, you know, the cloaked figures throughout. I mean, there's hundreds of characters there. I don't know if those are Sith users or just I dedicated. Think followers. Yeah, Sith followers. No yeah. power, but whatever. So you definitely see that, you know, the Jedi have friends, the Sith have followers. And you kind of right. see that you get that throughout, but this is yeah. that was a clear cut. Here it is, right in front of you. Get it? Got it? Okay, cool. Moving on. And they speak to you know Ray's and Kylo's connection. You know that it is a extremely rare event that their it only power happens of connection once every forty two generations of Jedi, where things like align like this and their life force becomes so so strong. Right, and because connected. Bonded. Yeah, yeah, and bonded. And that's, you know, so cool. I get it. It's awesome. It, you know, it's a Super Saiyans type shit, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's well, literally the other what thing, it is. Well, the other thing I noticed about this whole Sith versus Jedi thing, and this is something that I, because I've read some of the books and read some of the comics and watched a lot of the Clone Wars and Rebels and Resistance, um, one thing that, some of the things that you learn about the Force itself is that the Jedi's are more like they're okay with moving on in the grand scheme of things. Like they become part of the force. Like they like they're okay with dying and, mm-hmm. and moving on and like passing on their knowledge to like the other Jedi's in, in the form of these force ghosts, right? You don't have that with the Sith. No. The Sith they fear death mm-hmm. and they're using the, the the force to elongate their life. They right. think that death is like, no, I can't die because I am the Sith. I have to live. I have to remain immortal. Let me just move myself into this other vessel, whether mm-hmm. it be. A, and this was a big theory way back when, right? That when Darth Vader like shoved the Emperor down the Death Star in that fight in Episode Six, a lot of people thought that's probably a clone. Hmm. That's probably not his true like form. He probably like his essence probably left that and went into another body, which was a very popular theme in a lot of the novels that came out between episode six and episode one. Right, was that the Palpatine wasn't really dead. Right. And that this is a thing of the Sith where like once once a, a, a Sith apprentice became powerful and gained the knowledge to like essentially live forever, cheat death that he could do this and Palpatine figured out, Oh, I could just make clones. Mm-hmm. And Which... that's when in episode two, they introduced the whole cl- planet of all they do is clone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the real question then becomes at that point is with the, me- with the mechanics and all the stuff that they have built up for Palpatine's return in this movie and his connections and everything else. A lot of what you see in the reviews is that, you know, the last movie, you know, The Last Jedi, said you don't have to be a Skywalker to be powerful. You don't have to have a family member who's famous to 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 win the war. No, because you saw it throughout the galaxy, like, anybody could be Force-sensitive. You saw the stable boy, you know, hold his hand out, and the broom went to his hand. 
Right. So does this movie, The Rise of Skywalker, revert that? Which is what a lot of people are saying. It's taking a lot of the stuff that was kind of brought to bear in The Force, the Last Jedi and said, yeah, yeah, that's true, but nobody cares about that. They only want to see this. Where... Yeah. You, you see what I I'm see saying? where you're going with this. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. Well, and, and then I've the other thing it. that came out during Rebels was it's all about balance, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had... Uh, the force basically exerting its. The force is neither good nor evil. It just wants things to remain in balance. If you have too many Jedi, the force does something to, you know, weed out some of the Jedi so that it evens out with the Sith. Right. You had like hundreds of Jedi's, and you had one Sith, so he evened right. everything out. Then you move on where now there's more Sith because. You have Asajj Ventress. You have mm. uh, Darth Vader. You have, you know, Senator, you know, Emperor Palpatine. All Sith, and you only had Obi Wan and Yoda. Right. Yeah. So it has to put things in the balance. So then you have, you know, Ben Kenobi, and you have Rey. So it has to, you know, it has to balance itself again. Right. And then, of course, spoilers. I know we keep saying this. Yeah, man, just reminding people. It, it ends up with just being Ray. No Ben. Right. Ben is gone. Which is interesting. I felt that was a good move. I thought that was a, a if you will, a daring move. You know, because they're talking about this movie being very safe, just kind of a retread, and it's safe, and who cares, and blah blah blah. I don't think it was safe. I really don't. I don't think it was safe either. No. You know, because a lot of people could have gone without the uh, the the overlying uh, layers of is it Ray and uh, Ben that hook up, or is it Ray and Finn that hook up, or is it Poe and Finn hooking up, or you know what I mean? It you you nobody, got no, you got none of that. None of that. Yeah, they didn't do any of it. You could see some nope. things possibly having maybe. Like, I thought it was interesting that Poe ended up having, like, almost two girlfriends at one point, it seemed like, for a hot minute there. Well, you it know? seemed like Poe gets around. Yeah. And he doesn't care yeah. who it is. And like, I, he had a he had a serious thing about – and that was the whole thing. Like, I was – he kept saying, how come you can't tell me? Because Ray's here, you can't tell me what's going on or what was happening or right. thoughts? Kind of a jealousy type thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I love it with him and, was, and his girl that she was – he was like – at that last scene where he's like, he looks at her and he's like, hey. And she's like, maybe. No. no. And she's like, no. No. Not going to happen. And he's like, all right, I gave it a He's like, all right, I gave it a shot. Yeah, and it's, know, like, it's like sense. great. It's like one of those things is like it doesn't have to have a big romantic ending. It doesn't have no. to be happily ever after to that level. It could be we fucking survived and won. Let's pick up the pieces. You know. Plus, I think it was good that J.J. didn't do that. Well, I got to give credit. We always give credit to J.J. Yeah. Chris Terrio also did the screenplay on this. And if you're not familiar with Terrio's work, he was the screenwriter for Argo, who won an Academy Award for that. Mm. He also did uh, Batman v Superman, because he rewrote that one from David Goyer. Um, So he's very involved in these type of big budget movies. And he's really good at... And you can kind of tell like his handiwork in this, where he took like... Yeah we're not going to have the romance of the Han and Leia thing. Cause that basically made episode five and episode six. Right. right? We can't overshadow them. Like, like we can't have Ray and Ben Kenobi be the greatest love, you know, love story 
of the saga. No, it was Han and Leia. Right. Well, and 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 it's it's kind of a you know they 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 said no, we're not going to do relationship stuff. We're not going to go that way. But then people got kind of oh, I completely forgot. Sorry, people are going to hang me for this. Rose and Finn. Well, that's an, I was going to that was where I was going next. Yeah. The Rose and Finn thing where. Finn kind of has this other girl he's kind of interested in, and Rose just kind of disappears in the background for a couple of seconds there. She got some serious out of movie well, she, backlash. Well, yeah, she had to she had to quit Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and then you know people are complaining. Well, she wasn't in the movie enough. Okay, was See? anybody in the movie enough? <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. what's wrong with you people? Yeah. She was in the movie. It, the problem is, is you're you're showing that you know, and the biggest line. There's more of us than them. Yeah. We're not alone. We're not alone. There's more of us. And the very yeah. final line was, they don't have a Navy. No. They're just people. And Yeah, it's just everyone. It's yeah. just everyone. And I think that's what we have to remember. Is it's going to be everyone. And not anyone is going to get their own huge amount of screen time. It's obviously the Sky, end of the Skywalker line. So, and, you know, Palpatine's story. So you're going to get mostly them. That's what you're here to see. That you're paying the big bucks for. But they gave everybody scenes. They gave everybody moments, you know. And it's 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 just. I don't think it was a oh we're just gonna you know ignore her. No, it was that's what they did. That's the choices they made. I don't think it was on purpose being you know scared, you know. Yeah, for for, for me, I was I was checking I was checking the boxes the second time I watched it, and I was like, okay, did you have a a, a snow scene? Yes. Did you have uh, a desert scene? Yes. Did you have a forest scene? Yes. Okay. Did you have a space battle? Yes. Did you have, you know, a lightsaber duel? Yes. Did you have a lightsaber duel involving, like, more than four or five at a time? Yes. Did you have, uh, uh, you know, people who had weapons that could deflect force sensitivity? The Knights of Ren. Mm-hmm. Which was, yeah, which was interesting. Too. I was interested in the Knights of Ren. I was surprised that they weren't I expected more out of them I guess more a little bit well the thing is they kind of hung back in the shadows which I kind of expect from an organization or a cult or whatever you view them as because like you saw them like even when they were in their spaceship you saw like Kylo Ren's like TIE fighter you know sleek you know efficient you know very very much about his personality right mm -hmm. and then trailing behind him is this big bulky you know wedge with these two like intimidating like engines on it and they're just radiating heat out the back of it like you can see the distortion you're like okay yeah these are the these are the really bad guys mm -hmm. that stay in the background and they're just intimidating as anything right right but they don't they're actually kind of like, really do much right right i mean they're there to and then they give like that element of suspense like when they're walking around that desert planet chewie makes a left hand turn around that you know, around that little uh, embankment there, and then you see there's two Knights of Ren standing there. Mm-hmm. Completely motionless, completely silent. And the thing is that Chewie could smell things in the air. He could not tell they were there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a key piece. And they did that, I think they did it at least twice in this movie, where it's like, oh, a character you love is dead, or memory wiped. Oh, no, 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 they're not. It's okay. It's okay. You had your freak out, but we're fine. We're fine. And you know that was an Abrams thing of... Look, we're going to separate C-3PO and R2-D2 again, and I'm giving you – and I'm tipping my hand that something bad is going to happen oh, to yeah. C-3PO. Oh, yeah. You're my best friend. You know, that line. Yeah. You, yeah. So you're <laughs> like, all crap. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then it was with Chewie, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Chewie. How hit? How you know? Everyone was very, oh, you're 250 years old. You know, you've been cheating. No, we won't turn it off. And they turn it off. They treat him like he's family, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, something bad's going to happen to Chewie. Mm. They're being really super nice to him. They're doing all the schmaltzy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You can practically see it's going to happen. And, of course, because it's J.J. and Bad Robot Productions, there was a couple of uh, lost cast members in there. You know, yep. just for good luck, just for good measure, you know. I thought that was always we, amusing. He's like, hey, guys, I, I, you, you guys doing anything? You want to be in a Star Wars movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, he also uh, – we also lost a lot of the members of the Resistance that we've known over the last couple movies too. Mm-hmm. Like we saw them bite the big one in that space battle scene where seem all hope was lost, right? Right, and, and you know it, you know the main characters aren't going to die. You know, they, they call it – they were talking about it in The Mandalorian, actually, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but they talked about the armor that a character wears. You know, in the original Star Wars, it was that the um, Stormtroopers had horrible aim. And because of that, that's why they had, you know, they couldn't get shot easily because of that. There's an element of risk, but they weren't really ever going to die. Um, and in The Mandalorian, they use literal armor to represent that. It, yeah. And again, in this movie, stormtroopers, really bad aim. What the hell? Except, except Ex- for those ones in red. Except for the ones in red who actually knew how to aim. I felt because, and this is a scene that kind of brought it all to bear. And I love when they do it in the TV shows. Again, if you haven't watched Mandalorian, spoiler alert. Not major, Gosh, but minor spoiler alert. If you haven't watched The Mandalorian, my God, your life is incomplete. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. I've watched all eight episodes, so I am caught up. Um, oh, Gosh. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is that there's the two stormtroopers, the new bromance, better than Finn and, Re- and uh, Poe. Uh, it's a new bromance. The two stormtroopers waiting uh, with with Yoda, and they're trying to shoot the can. And they're yeah. sitting there with their guns out, and they're trying to shoot the can, and they literally keep missing. And they blame it on their weapons. Yeah. So my inquiry is, and I don't put this past a big empire like this. Is it actually the laser weapon, the, the, the guns they're using are crap because it had to produce them in so much quantity so quickly? Or is that they really don't really train them very well because, again, so many so quickly and they're just crappy shots? Or is it a combination of the two? All right. Here's my belief in this. And we've seen this and we can relate it to real world things okay all right go on in the real world i'm separating out of out of out of this i would like to say that the u.s military is probably the finest fighting force on the face of the planet it's also not very large we don't have the biggest navy we don't have the biggest army we don't have the biggest you know infantry we don't even have the biggest air force Hmm. But what we do have is incredibly lethal. It is incredibly precise. So it's kind of like we replaced quantity with quality, right? Mm-hmm. Where in some countries, like there's some countries where legitimately, like they have like an army of like a million. Hmm. But they're not really like the best of the best. They're just bodies. So those what I view the Empire as is like one of those bodies of like 
we have so many stormtroopers, who cares if their armor doesn't stop anything? We'll just give them the illusion of that. It looks intimidating to see all these things in white coming at you, right? No, yeah. They, it's just a show of force, like sheer numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, first point of like winning the battle is you, you know, just imagine an entire battalion of these white, these these soldiers clad in these white uniforms, with all the same face, because the helmets look like a face, right? Mm -hmm. And they, and it just looks scary as all could be, like some systems probably would just give up just based on that right just the sheer bulk of it which is fair enough and they have a lot and yeah and here's my thing is that you have a huge army that's literally all over the place yeah an entire galaxy's worth to pick from they were just pulling kids from planets and just putting them putting which them in uniform they mention here because you remember you always have that question of, okay we know during the clone wars what was going on it was basic yeah for all intents and purposes the clone wars and it, it's very interesting to see the Pal Palpatine's real plan behind all of that nonsense. Because he's basically, he's controlling both sides of the war at that point. Exactly. In one, one half, everyone's putting their, their thing in technology. Droids. We can mass-produce droids. We can just outnumber them like hundreds of one, hundreds of one right? Mm-hmm. A clone army, yeah, it takes a little bit longer to, like, create these things, but they're better. Well, and I think the real point of both of this and, and Palpatine's real goal, because you got to think about it this way. They mention it here, and, and, and I know we're all over the place, but deal with it, people. <laughs> Is Palpatine's pulling the strings all along, right? Yes. We know that they state that. We know that he was in the beginning anyways. You go back to episode one. He's there. He's doing his thing. You know for a fact that he has a bigger goal. His bigger goal is, is he wants to control every planet. So his first attempt is basically it's not about the war. If he can get bases created on each planet, then he has the infrastructure for when he becomes the Empire. Nothing to do with defeating Separatists. Nothing to do with them at all. Correct. You have the Separatists that have these droid armies that are coming to these planets saying, you're now, you know, part of the separatist movement now right your 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 resources belong to us here's you know we're going to station this base which holds like what a ten thousand robots or something like that right droids mm -hmm. <clears throat> right but in, yeah it, we'll but, just blockade everything right but then in the end all like you said he's just building infrastructure at that point mm -hmm. right he's that's all he's doing on both sides no matter who takes over whether it's separatists or you know the, the republic He's literally building strongholds for himself all the place. So he takes care of that. The Empire moves in. He's done his thing. He now has control of everything. That's what we see in 4, 5, and 6. He's done that. He's, he's taken control. And then he finally dissolves the Senate in Episode 4. Right. So he's ultimately the ultimate power in the universe. Right. So you got that going on, and he feels that's good, it's great, but he has to plan for the future. The rule of two. The rule of two. He's got to have a secondary who's going to be his next hit. Now – the creepiest part of this whole thing is that at some point, and possibly at some point, Palpatine has to have sex with someone. Or, okay, are we he's going? Just a clone. You think the kid that the his son is a clone of him? <clears throat> just like in episode, and I know we hate talking about this, in attack, you know, you know the attack of the clones. Mm -hmm. Um. They basically gave Django Fett a clone of his own to raise as his son. So you're saying that My maybe theory, that Palpatine's 
kid isn't really his kid. It's actually his clone. Yeah, I think honestly, I think it's his clone, which to I mean, in 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 a kind of weird way, right? Our children are kind of like our are like clones of us, right? Well, yeah, and to be fair, we they know share that it's our be genetic creepy. material, right? Yeah, you know it's going to be creepy. You know that. I mean, it's Palpatine. Yeah. Anything he does is good. Yeah, it's Palpatine. Yeah. So I'm thinking that it's you know probably some genetic material from like you know a lot from himself because he realizes that that's the way he can elongate his life and cheat death. He has a son that could basically have an heir for him. Right. So that way he can then move into that body and then live even longer, right? Yep. So, that, I mean, I don't know if you want to say fortunately, unfortunately, he didn't have a boy, he had a girl. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the women in the Star Wars universe are pretty powerful themselves, right? Mm-hmm. In their own right, yeah. 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 The force flows through us all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... I think that's just my theory is that it was a clone like his son was a clone he ended up like hooking up with somebody and their offspring little did they know that their offspring was really the the focus of Palpatine's like focus like right. that's what he really wanted he it wasn't so much that he, he I'm, I'm probably guessing that this that the son of his probably had like a an awakening a moral awakening and be like look I don't want to be associated with this guy yeah He's he's like evil incarnate, right? Which is interesting, and I'd love to see them do. I mean, that story. That story. I mean, (sighs) whether they will or not, they probably won't. But that would be. I I don't think they will. No, I don't think they will. There's a lot of stories that they won't do, like you know, uh, Lando and his new friend, you know, finding out where she's actually from. The Adventures of Lando Calrissian. It's kind of like. That's what they were hoping was going to save Solo was the fact they were going to have a young Lando Calrissian. Yeah, and it didn't save it. No, it didn't because the actor was fine, but it just wasn't. Lando is Lando. The guy yeah. Billy D knows how to do that role. Uh, you you have to just be a little bit creepy, a little bit lecherous, and a dash of charming. You have to get that combo right, otherwise it just comes off wrong, which right. is what happened. Um, all right, so we've talked about the reviews we've talked about the tie-ins i mean you could go but we on didn't on. say we didn't say what we thought exactly about you you're reading my mind like the force powers that you have well you <laughs> see I've, I've been doing this a while yes um which is of course the question is what do we think now going in with you have to go in and you mentioned this you had to go in with one caveat jj abrams only knows how to make one kind of movie you have to admit to that before making your opinion of this money note. Which, what do we mean by that? He only knows how to make fast-paced movies. Period. All of his movies are fast-paced, and if you blink, you are going to miss something. You're never going to get to go to the bathroom, so don't worry about it. I mean, let's just, you know, go with that first. If if you roll the dice and go to the bathroom, like I did during the first time I watched <gasps> it, and it won't no, be, I had. It wasn't me. I went with my daughter. Okay, fair she enough. Said, fair enough. She, she says, Daddy, I have to use the potty. I'm like, all right, let's go now. So we went, came back, and I'm like, I know I missed something important. I don't care because the movie was just that. All right, I'm going to just come out and say it. The movie's just that good. Okay. You're going to just know It's just that good. Reviews be damned. Mm-hmm. Friends be damned because – 
I could tell you the more people I've talked to that have seen this movie, they they've all I've gotten mixed things. I've gotten a eh, it, I didn't like it that much. And I'm like, okay. I've gotten that now, they they think these are the worst. This is the worst trilogy ever. That's what you've gotten. Yeah, yes, I've gotten literally the loathing and hatefulness of like Jesus. Okay, it's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. I haven't gotten I haven't gotten the loathing or the this is just a dumpster fire. I didn't get the same I didn't get the same hate of BVS Batman v Superman or Justice League or even I didn't the get... same hate from the Last Jedi. Or the last, oh my gosh, yeah. you, you mentioned Last Jedi to people, yeah. they, they totally lose, they lose their, their shit. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. what? what? What is wrong with you people? Okay, fine, whatever. Anywho. Um, no, but uh, I, I think that the biggest thing we need to understand is that there is so much Star Wars to tell that it almost feels like they could have gone like another... 45 minutes giving us a couple restful moments in there somewhere extra towards the end and I think it would have so, been so you wanted you wanted Marvel's end game is what you wanted you wanted three hours tie all the loose ends up well they did they tied everything up I mean they left a few open spots for them to make more movies if they want to but they li- did literally tie everything up I just felt that it was so fast that you need to build the suspense a little bit and I felt they just didn't give that couple extra moments. That well, and a lot of the big surprises in this movie or big reveals, they were just like thrown out. There. Well, they're just like yeah, yeah. You know your you know your parents. Yeah, you know you're a Palpatine. Yeah, exactly. And that's how that's how it came out. It wasn't like a big dramatic pause or anything. Right, and that's my thing. It's like okay, fine. You're just gonna kind of put it out there, but I just I don't know. I felt that the I felt that the one thing that was missing from the movie that I would have enjoyed, that would have made it even better, not that it wasn't good, was a little bit better building of the suspense. I mean, I felt that it didn't have the right pacing to build suspense properly, so you really felt the weight of those, bam, you're this, or bam, this happened, or bam. I mean, hell, you don't even get a chance to mourn for Chewie before you find him alive in the next scene. Yeah, yeah, it's literally, your your heart drops, literally, well, I had the fortune of going, and I'll say this till my last nine days, the best audience I've ever been in a movie with. And this was um, the day before it released, a sneak peek view at a local theater at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And literally everybody was into the movie as much as I was. Mm. Um, my daughter, because she doesn't have as much time invested in it as I have, she loved the movie. And I mean... I lost it when Chewie died. Mm-hmm. I lost it when Leia went into that coma. I lost it when when Chewie lo- when Chewie lost it. Oh yeah, I lost that it. was amazing. That was an amazing scene. I wish they didn't had. I wish they hadn't done it so wide shot. I wish they kept it kind of in on him a little bit more than that. But I that was that was that was a pretty decent piece of cinema. And you know when I really lose it. The end? Oh yeah, dude. I I the second time I went to it, m- my wife looks over at me. Ash looks over at me. She's like, "Are you crying?" I'm like, no, I'm not crying. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. <laughs> See, I I I do the trick of looking up at the ceiling. Mm. Now we know I can tell. Yeah, 
No. If you if you tilt back, look up at the ceiling, the the tears just they just roll back in there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how that works. And and it was funny too because there was, and I want to mention one other thing, but I want to say the people behind us were like, "Say it, say it, say it." (laughs) They were like whisper yelling at the screen, like, "Say it. We know you're gonna say it. Just fucking say it." Yeah. You know, and it's like you know she's gonna say it, but it's like. It's one of those anticlimactic, climatic, it's going to be continuing on, but it is the end of an era. And it proves the point of you don't have to be a Skywalker to be a Skywalker. You can be family even if you're not blood related. I think that's well, yeah, I think it's the most powerful message of the she, trilogy. She, yeah, she brought she brought real balance to the force when she basically made the decision of yeah, I'm not Palpatine. I'm not going to rebrand Palpatine. Right, which is a huge move. You have to have someone. The only way balance can be brought to the force is if somebody is literally the bad guy and says, no, I'm going to be the good guy. That's true balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a great error. I don't know what they're going to do next now. I mean, you leave a lot of things upcoming, but all the stuff they're talking about is back in time. They're talking about the new trilogy that they may or may not be working on in the future, near future, never, we don't know. It's going to be a Knights of the Old Republic. Is it a bad thing? No, but we want to know what happens next. You know, they're talking about hey, the Obi-Wan show. I said, it's not going to be in the future. Hey, it's going to be back in the past. Be, be, before, before the Mandalorian, what did we all say? We all said we wanted a young Yoda. Mm-hmm. And a Boba Fett. Guess what? We got it. Not in the form we thought. We got it. Not in the form we thought. (laughs) Yeah. But we got it. And it's going to be interesting to see where they take it. I mean, there's so much. I mean, we're going to have to do a whole episode just on the Mandalorian alone. But there's so many cool tie-ins to that, too. And it shows that it's all in the same universe. They constantly bring it back to this is one universe. And, yes, just because we aren't all Skywalkers doesn't mean there isn't still influences from what the Skywalkers have done. Oh, and the hatred that uh, that was on the internet when they announced the title of this movie, Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> well, and the controversy, oh, oh, oh. and what, like, what the hell's going on here, and who is this going to be? They're like, they're like, wait, 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 wait. You gave us the Force Awakens. That was kind of like a clue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, JJ didn't leave much to the imagination, which is fine. We we know what's yeah. going to happen, right? We 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 know that it's a someone's going to wake up with force powers. Duh. Okay, move right. on. Yeah. Then it was the last Jedi, and everyone was like, "Well, what does that mean? What does that mean?" And Ryan Johnson came out and said, "It's Luke. Luke was is the last Jedi." Yeah. And and he and he caught so much hatred for that. He and then it came out just before this movie's release was. Oh well, the original idea was that had Carrie Fisher not passed away, right? She was going to be the last Jedi, which and then this last make... movie would have been her passing the baton to Rey, but she passed away. Yeah, I, so I... they had to do like some rewrites there and make and give Luke more of the spotlight in the Last Jedi, which I feel was a better choice, only because. He had a. F- That's the only one we knew. Well, no. Well, yeah, that too. But he also had to fucking redeem himself for throwing away his lightsaber from the last movie. He threw it away. He threw, yeah. and that pissed everybody off. Well, yeah, but then keep in mind, he did stop 
the First Order doing the most Jedi of things, and he didn't fight. Yeah, no. Well, and that's the thing. And that's those two scenes. He did it the most passive way to win a battle. He did it. Yeah, and the thing is, is that those two scenes alone will cause the most hate, the most despise, the most you guys ruined our childhood moments, or where we're coming from, of yeah, if you understand the lore of Star Wars and actually do more than just you know, search your feelings for your nostalgia, these are true to how the Force works. That is a huge ability. That is the most Force thing you can do, considering it's all made up and none of it's real. Just putting that out there, guys. It's entertainment. <laughs> it's not real. Not, However, not that if you look at if you look at the unfresh, vine ripened uh, fruit, yes, website, the rise of Skywalker, according to today, fifty five percent rotten. Yep. It's bad. Mm -hmm. Audience score, 86%. Yeah. So, what does that mean? Exactly. I mean, what does if it mean? you look at the list of, if you look at the list of top box office oh, yeah. as of today on their website. It's right? not even close. It's like, okay. 177.4 million. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which they said it fell behind The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Although this is staying... I think the rate is staying up higher than The Last Jedi. There's not that much of a drop-off. Well, here's the other thing of it. And I will mention this. I went twice. Okay? I went twice way after its initial launch. I bought my tickets online. Both times. It said, your three seats that you picked were the last three seats in the theater or close to the last three seats in the theater. Both times, I went into the theater, and it was pretty much empty. Yeah. So I, I mean, don't know what I that went, means. It was packed. First time I went packed. Second time, same same thing as you, as you. Limited availability, maybe three or four seats here or there. We get in there. We get to our seats. We look around. There's other seats open. Yeah. So... I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's, you know, everybody's conspiracies are going crazy again. But I will say, as a purely anecdotal, factual statement, I don't know what the, who's buying all these tickets and not. Or if it's like a Fandango who purchases them in advance. Or is it just the theater themselves saying, from this theater, we're only releasing 85% of the seats? Who knows? We're leaving some open in case people walk up, right? Maybe. That's the only thing I could think of. I don't know. But whatever it is, it definitely speaks to that number. And the yeah. biggest issue is is if people are inflating that number because of that, then you'll never know how well the movie actually did. Now, to put this in perspective... Yes. Movies that scored higher than Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, that are on this list. Yes. Jumanji, The Next will, Level. Yes. Frozen 2. Which I heard was actually pretty good. Yes. People said it was good. 
not like the first movie. That's what they always say. Yeah, some, actually, it some people good. said some people said it was actually better than the first movie. They felt. I haven't. I haven't come across that. Yet. Really, I heard a few couple of people saying yeah. it had a little bit more heart and it it dealt with more adult themes and it was a little more mature, which is good oh, and bad gosh. for a Disney movie that's animated. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Knives Out, mm. which got ninety seven percent. Um, Bombshell. No idea. At sixty seven percent. I don't think I heard of that one. Bombshell. If I'm not mistaken, that's the movie about the three women at Fox News that accused the Fox, uh, pre- the president of Fox News of uh, sexual harassment. Oh God. Yeah, it's uh, Margot Robbie, Charlize Theron. Wow. And I forgot the other. Yeah, but it's one of those biopics, right? Yeah. And it's like. Yeah, you know they look they look like the people that they're that they're representing, but I'm like, it's just to me it's like, does it is it worth the movie being made about this? I don't know. That that's a whole other thing. Yeah, right? no, I hear you. Uh, Richard Jewell, seventy two percent. Queen and Slim, eighty three percent. Ford v Ferrari, ninety two percent. See, and I just all biopics. I don't get it, and they're all like. Barely making any money. Yeah. Barely. I mean, it's not even close. And even if movie theaters across the country are buying out seats, they're not buying $177 million worth of seats, which is what Skywalker is at right now. Right. So, right. I, I, they, I mean, will it hit a billion dollars? That's the other thing. Like, probably not. Probably not. I mean, it'll be, it's, we'll see. They'll need China. They'll need China yeah. to get to a billion. Yeah. So we'll have to see where that goes. But, the, now the interesting thing is when you look at the reviews that are on the site if you if you were a person that was solely dependent on the opinions of other people on which movie to see next if you were to read the reviews on here you would not want to see this movie yeah yeah and this is and this is what they call a good review i'll give you the opening line if you disliked the last jedi like i did you'll like but probably not love the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. If you liked <laughs> The Last Jedi, this review may might not be for you. Well, what does that really tell somebody? Yeah. Who's like, you know, just a casual like movie fan, not a cinephile. Right. You know? Well, the problem is is Stars is one of those things, is one of those movies that you either are in or you're not. It's like the Marvel. You're either in or you're not. These are not movies you go into lightly. You can't just go, oh, that looks cool. Let me go see that. No, you, you can't. Not at this point. You know, and, and you're going to go into these movies with baggage. No matter good, bad, or indifferent, or you try to be neutral, you're going to go in with, with baggage. And as far as a movie goes, as a pure cinematic piece of movie, you would basically make this movie horrible because you have no context. No understanding. If you didn't watch any of the other movies, you shouldn't be watching this. You have to at yeah. least watch the trilogy, if not the whole thing, to get anything out of this movie. That's the downside of cinema now, is that if you have to watch eight movies to make this movie make any sense at all, that's that's an issue. I have an issue with that. There, as much well, as I love that... the Star Wars and the Marvel, big cinematic blah, blah, blahs, I'm also a big fan of what DC's doing. 
Make me a movie that's a single movie that's about a character. You get a story arc. Maybe you throw them in. You don't give an origin story. Fine, whatever. I'm I'm an adult. I can figure that out. But you don't need to give me nine movies to make something happen that I'm like, wow. Versus oh, that was yeah. Nice. Did did you need two other movies to give you an aqua a really good Aquaman? No, movie? you really didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I mean, you, you just didn't. It was a good story. It was a, it was a good a- Aquaman's still good. Oh, like yeah. I just watched it on on HBO oh, the other yeah. night, and I was like, this is a really good movie. It's a good movie. And again, I nothing against again nothing against the sagas, nothing against the epics, nothing against Marvel and Star Wars and all those and all their ilk. But I'm hoping and very hopeful. That movies that are coming out in that genre for Marvel, for DC, for other things like you know, even like the freaking Doolittle movie, can really oh yeah the the reboot yeah, yeah they can really start to move back at least a little bit to decent movies that are singular and that are able to stand on their own two feet and don't need sixteen movies to back them up. That's my hope. Like, and here's the other thing: if you want to go, if you want to go to like a serious movie. Joker. Even if you didn't watch a single Batman movie, and you go and you watch the Joker, you pretty much have a good idea who the Joker is now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's a great concept. And I hope that others get into that side of the bandwagon too. Marvel's too far along. They can't, they can't go back now. No, now, well, now the next movie for them. Yeah, the next movie for them is Black Widow. Which, and I'm like, well, well who's next? Uh, Hawkeye. I'd watch Hawkeye. I think he's doing a TV series. I would so. not watch Hawkeye. I like Hawkeye. No. He's cute. He's fun. Clint. Clint. <laughs> yeah, Clint. Good old Clint. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. That's a whole other podcast. Yes. But <laughs> this, for this, if if anyone's listening to this to find out what our thoughts on are on it, it the a part of the crit- criticisms for the original trilogy was that it wasn't um, it wasn't sci-fi enough. Right, there wasn't a whole lot of sciencey things happening in it, like Star Trek was. Star Trek was a lot more science fiction, mm-hmm. right? Um, then the prequels came out, and it was like, oh, because of all the CGI in those movies, like it just doesn't appeal to me. Like everything's a CGI shot. Like the characters are walking everywhere. There's a lot of walking in these things. There's no sense of urgency because they were on these green screens and green studios on conveyor belts. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then, uh, and then you got to these movies, and everything went back to practical effects, like in the first movies. But the speed of like what action movies are like now, and people just still don't give it a shot, right? Mm-hmm. They still refuse to like accept it. I thought all three movies were good. Mm-hmm. If I had to rank them. I would say, I would say nine, seven, eight. The last movie, Rise of Skywalker, okay, well, Force Awakens, and then The Last Jedi. And you know why? Go on. The JJ Sandwich. <laughs> You're my only hope. <laughs> Well, on that note, I want to say to all Star Wars fans, go out and see it. It's worth yeah. the watch. It's a good it's so story. Don't listen to people who are being negative Nellies. This is a movie you, you worth can take it. A, you, could take a, you could take a kid to see it. There's oh, not any language no. in it. There's no, no nudity. There's nothing you have to explain or anything. Yeah. There's no uncomfortable scenes. I mean, my daughter didn't like the kiss. She was just like, did they have to kiss? I was like, that, I will that was tell it. you what. 
that was a fucking awkward kiss even for me. I watched that kiss <laughs> and I was like, who is she actually kissing in that moment? Because is she really kissing Leia, who kind of embodied Ben at that moment to bring him back to life so he could go ahead and save her? So is she really kissing him? Or is she really kissing Han Solo, who kind of came through him in the end and it was kind of there and it's a deep memory? Or is she actually kissing Ben, which doesn't really make it any more attractive because he's not a very good-looking fellow, in my opinion. <laughs> and it just makes it awkward and uncomfortable. And his smile at the end was like, yeah. And then dies. I was like, what the fuck? There's no way that's yeah, not yeah. an uncomfortable kiss, okay? That doesn't yeah. – I do not get any romantic vibes from that because, yeah, no, just no. Yeah. So I agree with your daughter. You. Yeah, she was like, Did they... that's the only thing that she had exception to. Everything else she was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, I was in on it too. Uh, I, I, I could be hit – I could be on either side <laughs> regarding that scene. I, I fall. It's what everybody yeah. wanted. But then when you got it, you're like, no, no, you know what? No, we didn't want that. Take it away. Take it away now. Oh, good, you killed him. Okay, yeah. good. We're good with that. Yeah, yeah like everyone wanted, to, everyone wanted to see what was underneath Darth Vader's helmet until we saw what was underneath Darth Vader's helmet. Like, ew, ew, put it back. Put it back. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, guys. Go see it. I think it's a great movie for what it is. It does come with baggage, but you know what? A little baggage makes it more interesting. And I think this has been a great way to start off our new season. We are going to do yes. interviews. We are going to have fun content. Lots, a lot of exciting lots things. Of friends yeah, lots of friends. To pon- yep, lots of repeat podcast friends coming back on the show again on uh, the next couple of weeks. We are going to definitely go out and see movies. We may be launching some more of our videos again. You never know what's going to happen. So if you aren't following our YouTube channel, make sure you are. We are over here and there we were going to launch an episode or two of our classic youtube video episodes on this podcast so you kind of get a sense of what we were like on those older d- days from like last year two years ago uh, but definitely keep up with us twitter youtube instagram all the rest and of course the great tumblr um we are in a nevo now we aren't doing too much on any of them at the moment because it is the holiday season for us at the moment but we will be back on them reach out to us by email at two nerds a joke at gmail.com if you want to come on the show or have any questions opinions we were trying out that live podcast thing didn't quite work out technology wise for us but we may come back around and circle around to that again at some point um so let us know but if you want to listen to us weekly this is the time this is the station wherever you get your local podcast thank you guys so much ernie because the force will always be with us give us a Peace out. Peace out, everybody. We will see you guys next time.